Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Sweden. If you're looking for quality headphones that are not ridiculously expensive, look no further. Please stay tuned for more information for our exclusive promo code. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hi everyone. Before I begin, as always, I would like to play a promo from a very hilarious podcast hosted by three women. Take a listen. Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, Crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! So obviously, if you're into comedy true crime, this is something that you have to listen to. Three ladies that chug wine and chat true crime. I don't know, they just might be your spirit animal. Now, let's begin today's episode. Iran, officially known as the Islamic Republic of Iran, is a sovereign state in West Asia. Iran is also known as Persia, though Persia is used mostly in historical context nowadays. Iran borders Armenia, the Republic of Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkey, and Iraq. Iran has a population of around 81 million and is the 18th most populous country in the world. It is the second largest country in the Middle East. The capital city of Iran is Tehran, and the official language is Persian. Although Islam is the official religion, Christianity, Judaism, and Zoroastrianism are also recognized religions. Iran's Islam is of the Twelver Shia, which is the largest branch of Shia Islam. 
a belief in the 12 divinely ordained leaders. As one would expect, Iran has quite a long and complicated history, dating all the way back to the lower middle Paleolithic age, and also at one point influenced Greek, Italian, Russian, and other Arab and Asian cultures. Iran began with the Elamite kingdoms, an ancient pre-Iranian civilization going back to around 2700 BCE. Iran was also part of the Archaemenid Empire, founded by Cyrus the Great around 500 BCE, which is still one of the largest empires to ever exist in history. Then Alexander the Great came along in 300 BCE and took everything away from everyone. Arab Muslims eventually made their entrance to Iran's history around the 7th century, replacing the original religions such as Zoroastrianism with Islam. This marked the very beginning of many Muslim dynasties and the Islamic Golden Age, starting with the Turks and the Mongols conquering Iran. What marked the beginning of modern Iran was the rise of the Safavid dynasty, which took place around the 15th century. This dynasty basically helped unify Iran and create a sense of national identity. It was also under this dynasty that the country's religion shifted to Shia Islam, which is the main religion of the country to this day. Iran was booming under the reign of Nadir Shah, an Iranian ruler from the 18th century. Unfortunately, though, it was said that he became very cruel and greedy, and one day he was ambushed while he was sleeping by 15 assassins. It took 15 people to kill one guy. Conflicts began to happen with Russia around the 19th century, as in the Russo-Persian Wars. Russia was gaining a lot of power, leading to Iran's loss of many territories. Iran's relationship with the West was also deteriorating, mostly because of the 1953 Iranian coup d'etat where the UK and the US orchestrated an operation to overthrow the democratic elect in order to strengthen the monarchical rule in Iran. Another major event that happened in Iran was the 1979 revolution, where an Islamic republic replaced a continuous Persian monarchy that had been running for around 2,500 years. In 1980, Iraq, hoping to take advantage of Iran during the post-revolution times, invaded them, and a nine-year war broke out between the two nations. This was labeled as the deadliest conventional war fought between regular armies in developing countries. This war was not only expensive, it also resulted in so many deaths on both sides. Iran is considered a very undemocratic country where people who criticize the government could be persecuted and arrested. It's a bit scary, but Iran has the highest number of child offender executions in the world. But at the same time, it shows that they are not on board with that kind of stuff. Now, looking on a somewhat brighter side, Iran is working on their tourism and has been doing well these past few years. Most tourists go to Iran to visit pilgrimage sites or visit historical monuments. After all, Iran is considered one of the world's oldest civilizations. Iran is also known for their large amounts of fossil fuels, natural gas, and oil reserves. Once again, you can see that I have ventured out into the far west into very unknown territory. I have to say, this case brought out a lot of feels. Here's the thing I want you to keep in mind before you continue listening. There will be parts that will make you shake your head and sigh. 
It might also make you a little mad or a little depressed, or all of the above. When I was doing research for this case, part of my brain was going, what is going on and are these people serious? But another part of me was going, well, this is another culture so different from mine, and I cannot judge what they were taught during their lifetime. So this was my struggle for this specific case. I hope I deliver this case without too much judgment. With one exception though, there will be murder, and I will never agree that murder is okay. This episode will include graphic details, so please proceed with caution. This is the case of the spider killings in Iran, committed by a man by the name of Said Hanoi. A lot of the information for this episode was from the documentary on his life, which I will mention at the end of the episode. Said was born in the city of Mashhad in 1962 and grew up in a very strict and religious family with five other brothers. It wasn't that his parents were religious. All his brothers were also very religious. His mother would beat them when she saw fit, but this was just a norm as in none of them ended up resenting her for doing this. Fast forward to the year 1980, when Iraq invaded Iran, which started the Iran-Iraq War. Being a patriot and a religious person, Said enlisted in the war front. Of course, when you're at war, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive. Said, though, took it one step further. He kept a war diary detailing his daily events. It wasn't just tracking his daily movements. He wrote about killing his enemies in great detail, most of them graphic and even with satisfaction. During the war, Said visited a shrine and encountered an imam, as in the prayer leader in mosques. Said told him that if he made it back from the war alive, he wished to be rewarded with a wife. He already had an ideal image of his future wife, he compared his wish to someone who was going shopping, and they already sort of knew what they wanted. Of course, we all have standards and have an idea of what we're looking for in a partner. But hey, Said made it back alive and was living in the city of Mashhad in Iran. One of his brothers at the time was a builder, and he was building a house for a family, and the family happened to have a daughter. Said's brother decided to play matchmaker and introduced the daughter, Fatima, to Said, and bam, they were married. Apparently, it's that simple. So Said was very happy with his reward and commented that he received a wife better than he had expected. He was also very proud of the fact that he had never engaged in conversation with any woman before marriage. Life was good for the couple. They lived a relatively good life and eventually had a son together. Things changed when one day, Said's wife, Fatima, came home and told her husband of something that had happened to her earlier that day. She was out in the streets when a car pulled over and mistook her for a sex worker. Said, being a religious and um, an upright man, was furious. He quickly managed to pick up a new hobby after this incident. He started hanging around street corners and tried to argue and fight the men who looked like they were sketchy and most likely looking for some fun. His wife's honor was threatened. He had to do something. 
He quickly realized this was a bad plan because he was often beat up and didn't really stand a chance of winning anyway. That's when he decided to change his tactics and his targets. When you can't beat him, well, you move on and go for the weaker ones. In this case, the sex workers. Prostitution in Iran is illegal and it can result in the death penalty. It really is no surprise that things happened the way they did. These women obviously were unable to ask for help from law enforcement as they'd be risking their lives. And no one was willing to assist or protect these women either. Saeed's project began in July of 2000. He started hiding around street corners at around 5 or 6 p.m. or wherever sex workers were most likely to hang out. He would hide out until he spotted his prey. Then he would walk up to her, talk to her, and negotiate with her. During many of his talks, he realized that most of these women were out selling their bodies because they were drug addicts. This probably infuriated him even more. Not only were they whores selling their bodies, they were also junkies. Once they reached an agreement, he would take the women back to his house. Obviously, he would pick the days where his wife and son were not home. His wife visited the mosque and her parents' house regularly, and since she kept to a schedule, it made it easy for him to hunt. Once the woman entered his house, he would lock the door behind them. He would then pay her up front, and while she was distracted and counting the money, he would choke her from behind. Once the women were unconscious, they would then fall to the floor and he would put his knees on their necks or use their headscarves to suffocate them to death. Only in one instance, though, one woman did not die, so he took it one step further and stood on her neck, eventually breaking her neck. He stood on her neck for two whole minutes. It takes him approximately half an hour to murder a woman, and he would leave the body in his house for about an hour or so, and then transport it somewhere else and dump it. He would use the woman's headscarves to cover their heads before dumping them. Okay, let's take a short break and allow me to tell you more about Studio Sweden. If you're a fan of music and podcasts, then obviously your choice of headphones and earbuds would matter. If you happen to lead a relatively active lifestyle, then Studio Sweden's tray is perfect for you. These earbuds are made with sweat-proof material, which is obviously very important because we sweat when we work out and the last thing you want is for them to stop working because of your yucky sweat. It also comes with those wingtips that help keep the earbuds in your ears as you move around. The tray has a battery life of at least 9 hours, and it provides enough sound transparency to where you can listen to whatever you're listening to and know exactly what's going on around you. So if, say, someone creepy like Saeed is coming up behind you, you will know. Right now, you can get a pair of these from Studio Sweden with free worldwide shipping and a 15% off your purchase. Just enter the promo code ASIANMADNESS at checkout. Not only do these make great additions to your life, they also make great gifts. So go ahead and order some for your family and friends, because we know how important podcasts and music can be. Most of these women, if not all, did not choose to live this lifestyle. I am by no means telling you that being a sex worker is wrong. 
but there are women who do it because it's the only way for them to survive. Most of his victims had a difficult life, and women in Iran did not have many rights and depended on their husbands and family most of the time. One of his victims, a woman by the name of Sarah, was murdered when she was 27. When she was only 10, her father had sent her to live with her great-uncle's family because they wanted her to eventually marry her great-uncle's grandson, which would make him her great-cousin or great-grand-cousin. Is that a thing? Uh, anyway, a relative. The point is she was only 10. Pretty much a child bride. When she was 20, her husband got tired of her and took on a second wife. She was not cared for and he refused to provide for her anymore. Could she have left? Well, maybe. But then again, she already had six children by that time. And she had to somehow raise these kids. So you see, she wasn't a junkie. She was not doing drugs. She was only doing what she had to do to survive and provide for her six children because her father decided he didn't feel like it anymore. Killing these women became an addiction. He took pride in his doings, believing that he was continuing his previous war efforts, but this time he was helping to clean up the streets by getting rid of these so-called corruptors of the earth. His urge to kill was so intense he would intentionally try to think of his family and how they would react if he was ever caught. He would even go on his motorbike to the nearby prison, circle it a few times, just so he would feel the fear of getting caught. There were a few times he would go back to visit the corpse he had dumped the previous night, just to see if it was still there. What he really wanted was to see people's reactions towards finding the body wondering if he would be praised. Of course, there were people who commented that since they were prostitutes, it didn't really matter as much. Some would be very outspoken and praise the work of this unknown murderer. Said was even once present when the police and the ambulance were there. Said pretended to help and provide information, but he also started to go on and on to the police officer about how he felt about these crimes, and how these women were making the streets so unsafe and other stupid shit. The police officer got a bit irritated and threatened to arrest him if he didn't shut up. That's when Said realized that he was probably incriminating himself by being present and talking too much, so from then on, he began to hold back and kept to himself. This man is quite smart, a fast learner at least, but also a bit too full of himself. This is probably why he was caught the following year. Said had managed to murder at least 16 women in one year, and of course, police noticed this and saw the pattern. They had found 19 women murdered, but they were unsure about three of them as they seemed to come off more as copycat murders. But all these women were strangled to death and their heads were covered with their headscarves. Most of these women were also sex workers, so clearly... This murder had a type. These killings were dubbed the spider killings, mostly because the killer acts like a spider, luring his victims into his web, entangling them, suffocating them. I just hope Said did not like the name. I at least don't want him to have the satisfaction of liking his serial killer nickname. 
So how was this self-righteous piece of work caught? Police pretty much used his weakness against him. They hired several sex workers to help catch him. I can't imagine how these women must have felt getting approached by police and unsure of how things would play out. So these women were warned of what might happen and to be on the lookout of anything suspicious. By now, everyone was aware of the killings, so of course, these women were very much at risk. Said continued doing his thing, and when he tried to do his trick again, the woman he brought home was on high alert and managed to hurt his hands and punch him in the abdomen. Then she ran away, and that, ladies and gents, is how the douche was caught on July 27, 2001. Once he was caught, his diabolical plan and his twisted ideologies all came to light, and while many people were disgusted, so many others were rooting for him. While the reformists were asking for a swift punishment, the hardliners, or the extreme conservatives, were instead asking for him to be exonerated and released. They instead blamed the government for creating such a morally corrupt environment that caused people like Saeed to want to come out and defend the honor of Iran. Like I mentioned, there are many what-the-fuck moments in this case, probably due to cultural differences or just simply the information people were exposed to. When police looked into the murdered women, they initially did not find the women to have had any sexual contact prior to their death, but after arresting Saeed, it was discovered that Saeed might have actually had sex with some of them before killing them. This really destroys his reputation for the hardliners and for his fans, who believe that he was killing these women to destroy the morally corrupt. Saeed then began denying ever having sex with them, complaining that law enforcement forced him to confess so that he would lose credibility amongst his followers and fans. Saeed stood in court during his trial, even testifying and defending his actions. Saeed and his defense team used a vague reference from Iran's Islamic penal code, referring to these murdered women as a quote-unquote waste of blood. It states that there are certain sins that are punishable by death, which renders the sinner a waste of blood, so killing these sinners is not a crime. The problem with this waste of blood code is that it has never been clearly defined. What exactly constitutes as a waste of blood anyway? And who is to say what crimes or sins are punishable by death? Saeed also stated that since every woman he murdered was a waste of blood, they all deserve to die. He was then, in fact, doing the world a favor, so he should be released. If anything, he's a hero, a martyr. He should be celebrated. He was out there helping to clean the streets of these morally corrupt whores, he also demonstrated how he murdered these women when he was in court, adding that since they were not human beings, he never felt remorse or sorry for them. He would feel more sorry if it was an animal. The judge, bless his heart, totally dismissed his testimony and messed up logic. Although the term waste of blood is not clearly defined, one cannot go out there, act first, and then claim you are acting under the law. It's like act first, then ask for forgiveness or permission later, which clearly the judge was not a fan of. Said was found guilty, and his punishment was death. Said was very angry when he heard of his sentence, unable to understand why he was not able to walk away a free man. 
When Saeed's brother heard of his guilty verdict and sentencing, he was also furious and went around petitioning for Saeed's innocence. Like I mentioned in the beginning, his entire family was very hardcore when it came to religion and their way of life. Most of the people that signed the petition praised Saeed, called him a true hero, a commander, a leader. There were a few others who were not buying into that whole hero concept, stating that regardless of Saeed's reasons, killing is not allowed in their religion. Someone else also disregarded Saeed's actions, saying that a real hero lives under the Islamic rule and is regulated by the framework of the law. A hero, a soldier, doesn't make the law. They obey the law and trust in the law. The documentary is called And Along Came a Spider, detailing the crimes committed by Saeed Hanoi. One of the most disturbing parts of this documentary is when his family is interviewed, specifically his son. Saeed's brother, Jalil, is Saeed's major supporter. He has said that Saeed destroyed moral corruption. He has said that Saeed was helping destroying the morally corrupt. Those women were never human beings, because if they were human beings, Saeed would never have killed them. A whore does not have an ounce of humanity. Saeed is not a murderer. His wife is also a huge supporter and wants him to be set free. She pretty much slut-shamed every woman by saying that if a woman went around with a man she didn't know, she should be punishable by death, meaning she was asking for it. And as for Saeed's mom, lovely lady, she said she gets super angry when she sees young women using public telephones to talk to young men, setting up dates and having conversations and whatnot. Okay, first of all, this lady is totally eavesdropping. And second of all, none of her business. Apparently, it makes her so mad that she has to fight the urge to grab them by their hair and cut them to pieces. The apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. When his mother was asked about how she felt in regards to his arrest, she said she was very unhappy that her son ruined his life just because of these scummy women. Very lovely woman. As for Saeed's son, Ali... He was around 14 or 15 when he was interviewed, and it is scary watching a child of that age speak of people in such a way. He said he was sad at first. He even locked himself in his room for two whole days when his father was arrested. Then he quickly realized, hey, my dad's a hero, a martyr. Once he realized this, he resumed his normal life. People would constantly go up to him and praise his father, telling him that he should be proud of Saeed. They would also tell him that since his father was now arrested, it is up to him to continue his father's work. Dude, who says that kind of stuff to a child? But then again, he's probably not considered a child since girls are made brides at fucking 10 years old. His response to these people would be, we'll wait and see. Ali was interviewed at his house, as in where all the women were murdered. He was the one who demonstrated how his father entered the house, locked the door, and where the women would be standing, how he would hold them from behind and strangle them. It was very strange and wild to watch this part. Before I wrap this episode up, there's one more thing I want to share with you. It's about his 14th victim, a 30-year-old woman named Firuza. She had two young daughters at the time. 
She had left her house around 5.30 in the afternoon to go on a quick opium run. She never made it back. Both of her daughters, both under the age of 10 at the time, waited till around 9pm for their mother to return. Hours turned into days. They began to ask their neighbors and other relatives if they have seen her, but no one had. One daughter went out to the place where their mother usually got her opium, hoping to ask people there if they have seen their mother. She would even make phone calls to the house while she was out to check if their mother might have returned. The two sisters even looked around cemeteries, which is so messed up and just really fucking sad. In the end, they found their mother in the mortuary. They proceeded to wash their mother's body and buried her in the cemetery. If that's not depressing, I don't know what is. But wait, there's a little bit more. Once they heard of Saeed's arrest, the two girls were interviewed. The older daughter said that she hopes to become a reporter or a journalist when she grows up because she once read a book about a serial killer and it would be a good idea to write about her mother's death. She believes her mother and all the women that were murdered were innocent. The younger daughter wants to be an artist. When Saeed was arrested, she made a drawing of Saeed in handcuffs and her mother dying on the side. They also avoid talking about their mother's death at school because they don't want to be picked on. These two girls are so adorable and so strong. It's amazing how they just stuck through such hopeless and awful times. Hard environments and difficult times make them grow up so much faster. I hope they're both doing well and are working towards their initial dreams. As for Saeed, he was hanged on April 8th, 2002, less than a year after he was caught. He never expressed any remorse. So there you have it. The self-righteous and self-proclaimed hero who killed sex workers for the honor of his country. I mean, it's a simple concept of demand and supply, right? It's not a one-way street. Women just happen to be easier to kill, so to me, he's a total coward. I truly hope his son does not continue his father's work. I was very stressed out when I was researching this case because when a serial killer goes around killing sex workers, most of us can see how wrong it is, but not in this case. Most people around him came to his defense, and it's just astounding how they stood up for him. I have plenty of photos and a video of all the victims that I will be posting on social media, so please remember to check them out later if you can. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. Till next time. I would like to thank Veronica Moreno for her new review and also to Jairo for his Patreon donation. It really means a lot and it really does help. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who listens. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.